Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the Conversations half. We will be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Deanne. I'm Sarah. I'm Pastor Danielle. Well, the sermon was incredible, first of all. Um, This was my first uh, Pentecost service in the Lutheran Church, which was really special. Um, I was raised Pentecostal, so these are texts that are really familiar to me and stories that are really familiar to me and have been a part of my life, you know, my entire life. And so it was really great to see what the Spirit is doing in another denomination and another tradition and the way that she is celebrated and welcomed in. Um, And so today's sermon was really great because, again, it's one of my favorite texts. It was focused on Ezekiel 37, the text where God reveals to Ezekiel this valley of dry bones and asks him, can these bones live? And the question that the sermon really asked of us was, um, really, can these bones live here today in 2018? And and how are we speaking to those bones in the way that um, the Holy Spirit is urging us to and calling us to and and inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to put things back together and to, to make the world right again? So that's a basic overview. We'll get into the details in a bit. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear from you, Pastor Danielle, both in particular on this sermon, but overall, like, how do you take these texts that you're given through the decisions of the church for each week uh, and for Pentecost and then come create a sermon? Mm -hmm. Just Just that. Just just that. (laughs) No big deal. No. So the texts are set for a three-year cycle. And I have a great ministerium group that meets. And so we meet and we read the text together and we pray together and we talk about what does this mean and what does this look like? And it's this ecumenical group. So that has been and is always wildly helpful when I am preparing for a sermon. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of going back to the scripture, going back to the original languages, reading commentaries from others as well. And then just a lot of prayer and trying to figure out where the spirit is leading. And I think one of the most important pieces for me, and not all preachers are this way, but a lot of Lutheran preachers are, is really what is what is happening in the news. So going through and being aware of what's happening in the world, because I think that scripture is a living thing. It's living and breathing, and it's speaking to our lives here and now. And so it is very easy to preach sermons that are kind of nebulous and generic, and yes, love God and love your neighbor, that's great. It's harder to say love God and love your neighbor in this situation because then it really puts it on the table for us. And so that for me is a really big part of what shapes my sermons and will direct. They're always in any scripture. They're always, they're an innumerable number of sermons that you can preach. And usually there are a bunch of iterations I'll go through until I land on what shows up here. And sometimes I've even shown up and been in the pulpit with two different sermons and I've been standing there like, okay, I guess it's time to pick one now. And, and you hope that you're led in the right direction. But yeah, I think a lot of where I land comes down to what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me, or you were, one of the points you were saying is it's our responsibility to speak God's truth. And that's part of how the Holy Spirit works through us. And I'm like, okay, cool. She's going to go into a couple examples now from politics <laughs> of how to do that. Yes, you know my style now. That's. <laughs> That's, if I say it, I want to give you something to actually think about to say, oh, that's a real thing. What does that look like? What does it look like? So one of my colleagues was arrested this past week doing the, during the Poor People's Campaign, and he was involved in a nonviolent sit-in protest for a ban on assault rifles. And um, to me, I thought, wow, there's the Holy Spirit at work. There's the Holy Spirit at work. And it's big things like that, but they're also in just small, everyday ways, I think, that we live out the Spirit. Absolutely. I mean, even just in the last week, conversations that I've had, I went home to visit family and conversations that were had that were fruitful. um, And really, I could see the Spirit like changing hearts and changing my heart and, Mm. and producing justice, not just unity for the sake of unity, like we can all just, let's all get along, but speaking truth about uh, what is going on in the world and calling people into care for these situations and being able to see the compassion that God is, is you know, stirring up in hearts was, was a beautiful thing. I thought even just in this conversation, I see in my life 
in in loving people and and stepping out and learning to love people more um this is the holy spirit at work in in me as i speak when has justice ever meant unity right when has it ever been 99.9% of people absolutely agree that this right. is what we should be doing? So often justice is a few saying, no, we have to speak up for people who are being systematically ignored. And mm-hmm. that means there are a lot of people that disagree. It's really uncomfortable. The injustice mm-hmm. wouldn't exist if there weren't mm-hmm. people that disagreed with mm-hmm. the justice mm-hmm. in the first place. So, And I feel like that's definitely a place to look for the holy spirit is like what is going on what are we defining as justice and is that Hmm. where the spirit is leading us it's weird to think about church history is so much of it is Hmm. marred with the mistakes justified by the bible right but then there's also the people who have been led by the spirit to oppose that and to work for justice Right. Which comes back to the idea of the scripture being a living and moving document, that it's a a symphony rather than a cinder block. Right. So there are all these voices over thousands of years. And there are these truths that arc throughout it that are very much Holy Spirit truths because there's a movement to them. There's this openness and and an ability to really meet people where where they're at. And I and I, that's that's such a beautiful thing, and I think that's where the that's what justice is bred out of. I think about some of those documents, or some of those stories and and verses in scripture that talk about women or talk about how to treat slaves, or and people say, well, this justifies slavery, and this justifies how we treat women, and it says, and and my response is, no, at the time. People had no dignity whatsoever. This was a small step in a community toward justice, but not the finished product, not where we end up. Right. To speak of the ways in which the Bible is used to justify oppression. I mean, I, I was raised in a denomination that very deeply was committed to this this intertwining of church and state. And I mean, the church that I just visited last week, there was an American flag up at the altar next to the cross. And there's this idea that God has chosen this people. And that image was like reflecting in my mind as I saw the um, American embassy opening this week in Israel, in Jerusalem and um, the American flag next to the Israeli flag. And from my tradition, it was such, there was such an investment in Israel coming together as being God's chosen nation and being an official country once again. And, and for my tradition, for people in my church growing up, this is a sign that God is, is, at work, this is a sign of the spirit. Meanwhile, as we're watching this mm-hmm. this um, embassy being consecrated, there is an actual valley of dry bones being uh, unveiled in Gaza. And so, where is the spirit here at work? You know. And as I was looking at those images, I was thinking about the the text that comes right after our text this uh, this week in Ezekiel, which ends with God saying. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the spirit of God being with the people that are in in this context, in Ezekiel, the ones being oppressed by empire. And that same exact verse is then repeated in Revelation mm-hmm. about Christians who are being oppressed by empire. So where is the spirit at work? The spirit is at work am- among the oppressed. The spirit is not empire the spirit subverts empire and this is where justice happens and so whenever texts are used to justify the powers vi- that be. exactly the powers that be violence you know it's like a direct violation of what the text originally was supposed to be and what the spirit is actually doing where is she she is she's with the people that are in the valley of dry bones she's not up on that hill endorsing the violence that is being poured out from that hill. And that makes me think about the um, modern Christian persecution complex. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, yeah. because speaking about Christians as being persecuted in the Bible, which was legit. Very but, much so. <laughs> but then now kind of copying that over to Christians like in America right. is just like, I, I know it can be easier 
to be like everybody's against us but we have to recognize like when are we colluding with empire yeah and we're not always going to be like on the right side no no and that's the importance of community and that's the the importance of the diversity of community that's represented in any congregation you know one of the one of the struggles i think with christianity throughout its existence is when christianity becomes self-selecting and we only want to be with people who are exactly like us who have our life experiences who understand scripture in the exact same way and i'm i'm really putting all churches in here together yeah. you know the struggle is then we become these echo chambers rather than actors of justice rather than rather than followers of Jesus and the way we end up patting ourselves in the back and just reaffirming ourselves over and over and over again. And so the importance and the necessity of the diversity of humanity, of the diversity of creation being represented when we struggle with these things and when we wrestle with these texts is essential or else who is ever going to pull us out of being on the wrong side of things, right? Because so often we end up on the wrong side of things with all of the best intentions. Sometimes not, sometimes they are malevolent, but, Mm -hmm. but often it really is with best intentions. Even when you look throughout history, it's been this focus on purity or, or saving people from themselves or these things that on the outset people can justify and say, no, this is good. I would never stop to ask the question, are these folks really impure? Um, do they really need our salvation? Or, or do we need theirs? What does that look like for us to be bound up together? I mean, that's like going right back into the Pentecost text of when the spirit is going over this like mass of people from all different places and speaking to them in kind of their native language and as somebody who's like tried to learn Oof. another language it's rough <laughs> i i you never know the comfort of your native language until you try to learn a different yeah. one yeah yeah and so especially if like they're strangers or there's not many people who speak that and being so isolated but then being given this gift and being able to hear god speak in the most honest way you can through your native language. Sometimes I wonder if Peter didn't answer the wrong question. So when the apostles are speaking and they're telling, they're testifying to these mighty acts of God, right? And then all of these folks hear this testimony in their own native language, which is stunningly beautiful and is God affirming the gift of diversity, I think in a huge way. And they say, what is the, what does this mean? And Peter gets up and very eloquently quotes Joel. And, and I don't know if that's what they're asking. I, because they've already heard the testimony to God's power. They've experienced it themselves. They know what that means. They're saying, what the heck does this mean that we can understand one another, that we are together in this way I think that question of what does what does it mean in that moment um, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in such a way and for for people to be responding in such a way I don't know I think I think that's the more intentional question rather than this quick jump to salvation and the fulfillment of the day of the Lord right but I could be wrong that's possible too I remember the first time I preached a Sunday morning service and I was 18 I don't know I was young and the pastor um, as he was introducing me, it was, I don't know if it was the first time a woman had preached in that church, but the first time in a long time or the first time since I had been there. And he introduced me by first quoting Acts 2, Joel 2, you know, your sons Mm -hmm. and your daughters shall prophesy. And he said, this is what it means for us to be Pentecostal. We believe that the spirit speaks through anybody, you know, the spirit is accessible to everybody. And, um, that Sarah has the Holy Spirit, and so she can come up. She has the authority to get up here and, and preach, you know. And to be affirmed in that way right as I was getting up was so huge. And, and for me, that that is what echoes in my mind every time I read that text, hmm. you know, um, that I can speak. I have, a, I have a voice. I get to speak to what God is doing in my life. I get to speak to what God is doing in the world. God is accessible to me mm-hmm. and through me. Um, and so for me, it does answer that question. What does it mean? People get to speak, you know, whoever you are, whatever your language, 
you get to speak to what God has done for you and in you from your location. I don't need to tell you what God has done for you. You get to tell me. You know, you get to tell me about your life experience. You get to tell me what it means to be a Palestinian and to see what God is doing in you in the midst of this oppression. You get to tell me what it means to be, you know, um, an immigrant in this country and to see how the spirit of God is moving in in you in spite of all of the discrimination that you're facing, especially with this current um, administration. God has given you the Holy Spirit and you get to tell me, you get to speak your truth about what God has done for you and in you. Um, people get to speak for themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. It also made me think of when you were telling me about like um, the origins of the Pentecostal church, if you want to go into that. Yeah. Um, well, so in the United States, are we talking like early 1900s origins? I think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Podcast is only so long. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Keep it short. Um, yeah. So in the early 1900s, there were a series of Bible studies that were going on in different places, and people were going through the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 2, like we've read today. And they came across this idea that the Holy Spirit is, you know, alive and accessible to everybody and that there are signs and miracles and we can expect that they just concluded that this is not something that was just for the people way back when this is something for us now here today and we can ask god to pour out the holy spirit on us here today and we can expect that to to be fulfilled you know and so through those series of bible studies um there were there was this outpouring of people being filled, what they described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and experiencing all these different miracles that are described in the New Testament. The major revival that is talked about is the Azusa Street Revival in 1906. It was led by this African-American pastor, and it was this really diverse group of believers that came together and all had this experience and there were men and there were women and there were people of all different ethnicities and races and they were all worshiping God together and they were all experiencing God together and people women were up in the front of the you know church and they were leading in prayer which was unheard of there were people you know of all different races worshiping God together which was unheard of in the early 1900s um And so this is really the birth of the Pentecostal movement. Now, of course, over time, um, unfortunately, because of white supremacy in this country, there was division, there was stratification, and white supremacy seeped into a lot of the Pentecostal movement um, and really took over. But the origins of it, the beginning of it was we want to look like the kind of church that Acts chapter 2 was, of people worshiping God together, experiencing God together, in all of our uniqueness, in all of our diversity, fully ourselves, speaking about what God has done in our lives. I think that the Lutheran Church has an interesting relationship with the Spirit, and I know you and I have talked about this with the Holy Spirit. You know, I think because we're so sacramentally based, we like our theology to be tangible. Mm-hmm. So, right, the you know, even in in our baptism, it's. The promises of God connected to this water that we can touch and see and feel in communion. It's God's promises connected to the bread and the wine. We can touch and we can see, see and feel and taste and smell, right? These are very tangible things. And even looking at the theology of the cross, where do you find God in the places you least expect, right? So we can connect with God creator and we mm-hmm. connect with Jesus as the one who walked on this earth and, and we can connect through those sacraments and through those theologies. And then we have the Holy Spirit. And that's great, right? And, and, I, and I, I don't know if we always, and there, is, there are certainly churches that do, there are certainly theologies within the Lutheran church, but it, it, it often feels pre- not as prevalent and as if it's, the Holy Spirit is kind of an afterthought sometimes because we can't touch it and contain it in the same way that, that we can God and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not that they are containable, but mm-hmm. I think we feel more comfortable right. grasping a piece and saying, look, I'm holding this piece. I can speak to this piece. Whereas the Holy Spirit, she's she's slippery. She is very slippery. And so uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know if we're as confident in that, which is a shame because it's missing out on a huge portion of our, our church and who we are and what that means. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was also hearing somebody discuss kind of um, very liturgical-based churches Mm -hmm. of, like, almost putting order Mm -hmm. above, like, the theology. And especially I feel like the Holy Spirit is the one that's, like, causing some trouble and rousing things (laughs) up. Um, Whereas theology, or not theology, liturgy is more orderly and we know what we're doing Mm -hmm. and we're, we're following the directions. And so then it's like, how do we, even with that, still embrace the Holy Spirit and the spontaneity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, being raised Pentecostal, every week was Pentecost Sunday, you know? I was raised to expect to meet with God, to meet with the, the Holy Spirit every single Sunday. The Spirit is going to move. We need to listen, and we will be flexible, and we will lean into what ever God leads this service into being, you know? And, I, you know, there can be some chaos in that. And so there's got to, there's, there's, I've seen some really chaotic and also very abusive iterations of that. And I found myself, you know, I, I am not Pentecostal in terms of the church I attend anymore, but you know, whenever I go back and visit, even with all of the junk that I still do see in the abusive theologies, there's something that is nourished in my soul when I go to a Pentecostal church. I miss so much because it's like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know the Holy Spirit's going to speak, you know. What is it for us to expect that the Holy Spirit is going to show up, not just at church, but Mm -hmm. in our lives? Right. And I wonder, I wonder how many... Christians expect the Holy Spirit to show up. Mm-hmm. And and I would say even in even in more Pentecostal churches, I wonder how many people I think people come expecting a particular experience, mm-hmm. but how many people really come saying, "Okay, the Holy Spirit is showing up today." And not just on a Sunday, but mm-hmm. what does that mean Monday through Saturday for us to go through our lives saying, "The Holy Spirit has promised, you know, Jesus has promised to send the Holy Spirit to us." Mm-hmm. Right? She's a coming. Let's get ready. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if we expect that. I think when we really do have those encounters with the Holy Spirit that knock us upside the head, they take us by surprise. And that's why they become so meaningful when the whole time the Spirit has been with us saying, I've been exactly. sustaining you. I've been stirring you up. I have been walking with you. I have been with you every step of the way. I'm glad you finally noticed, right? Uh, and, and how that would change the way we interact and how that would change the way we interact with other people as well. If you know, you're riding on the subway and everybody had a little cartoon flame above their head, would we, would we treat each other differently when we look at one another and said, wow, the Holy Spirit is here with you. You are holy in this place, in this subway. I would be happy to step off at this platform and let you off before I get back on rather than, <laughs> rather than treating people as just objects in our way to where we're going. Amen. I know something I hear a lot in kind of like social justice areas is like giving people humanity. Mm-hmm. And so something that something that really clicked for me was like seeing people as children of God. And that kind of like made it more tangible of like how do I give people humanity and how do I respect their humanity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the inherent dignity with which all of us are born? It is given to us by God, by the nature, by just the very nature of of existing. Mm -hmm. And so if we can't meet one another at that base level, then of course we find ourselves with massacres like this past weekend um, in Palestine, in Gaza, or we find ourselves with politicians who refuse to acknowledge the humanity and the value in people who live here. Um, and around the world, like it makes sense that we end up with so many of these issues, or even you know, the school shootings, or the the not just school shootings, the various shootings in our country. Like if you don't, if you don't see that inherent dignity in the other, that they indeed are a child of God as well, then yeah, it does make it easier mm-hmm. to ignore that and go through with whatever plan you have in your head. And what is it to see yourself as having that same inherent dignity? Mm-hmm that you are actually worthwhile because you're created as a child of God. How does that change 
the choices you're making on a regular basis. What does that say with how, you know, how you look at yourself in the mirror and what you choose to put up with. So Princess Bride. (laughs) It's a great movie. It's a great movie, isn't it? I do enjoy immensely. I enjoy the whole Sicilian death scene. Mm -hmm. That's actually probably my favorite part. You think that the poison is there, but you know that I would think that, so. I love the wedding. The wedding? Have you the wing? Have you the wing. You know, for the longest time, I thought, so I've been, so I've been ordained now for about 10 years, and my first, I don't know, What's today? Like my first nine and three quarters of those years. I, you know, the scene where she goes to marry Prince Humperdinck mm-hmm. and the woman stands up and she's like, liar, faker, you have forbid, you've foregone true love. And she like points them out. I, I was always very fearful that someone in the congregation would stand up and point at me and be like, liar, fraud, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'd be like, ah, oh, I'm trying. <laughs> but that's, that's my other Princess Bride mm-hmm. reference. Is mm-hmm. I just always had this weird sermon fear that it'd be called out in the middle of it all. I feel like that's very unlikely at a Lutheran church. Right? Very <laughs> unlikely. Right? Like, the only time this one, the church growing up that like somebody left in the middle of a sermon was because somebody outside was having a medical emergency. Yeah, we've done a couple of those. Um. Yeah, whereas, like, I know I have a friend who goes to Hillsong, and she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, there are some people who will, like, just walk out in the middle of the sermon because they don't like what the pastor is preaching. That's their prerogative. Yeah. So my congregation that I was at before I came here, uh, we focused on, uh, one of our focus areas of ministry was for and with folks with developmental different abilities. And I will say that I have never experienced the Holy Spirit in such a tangible way as I did through those ministries. I mean, and that was, there was a lot of interruption. It was people shouting Pentecost in the middle of the service in Christmas. There was dancing in the aisles. There were people who were, you know, at any point in time, had something to pray or something to say or a way to serve and give. And there was this incredibly beautiful chaos in the midst of liturgy that was really honest. And people in the congregation created space and declared that this wasn't something that was peculiar. No, this was normal because everybody has something to give. And so I think as much as I just talked about the Lutheran church and not being as spirit driven, I have to say my experience there was always spirit driven. And when we forgot, somebody was there to remind us rather quickly to get our heads out of our nether regions and 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 actually pay attention because she was up to something. Mm. And so I'm really thankful for that, for that space and a redefinition of what is normal that invited everybody into the extraordinary. Yeah, and that's even in the bounds of liturgy, there's still options and there's still ways to grow and change absolutely absolutely if we can just get out of our own way (laughs) right yes right i mean i'm a database manager and my father has been one previously and so i was i was annoyed about something he he was like yes databases would be perfect if no people ever used them (laughs) and i think that's Mm -hmm. In some ways, the, the church would be very orderly if no one was in them, right? <laughs> and, I've, and even the nature of the Holy Spirit of, in Ireland, so my friend is always, she's always talking about this, but the Holy Spirit we think of as a dove, right? But in Ireland, uh, they talk about the Holy Spirit as a goose. And if you've ever uh. been around geese at all, they're, they're a little mean <laughs> and they're slightly <laughs> aggressive and they're just going to peck you until they get what they want, whatever that might be. And... That has always resonated with me much more when I think about the Holy Spirit is that kind of insistent, mm-hmm. incessant, no, this is, I'm, we're, we're, gonna, we're not done with this yet. We're coming back. We're coming back. We're coming back. Are you paying attention yet? Are you paying attention yet? And, and I always like that image. I love that. Yeah, that feels, yeah, the dove is, is nice, but it's that nice. feels much more like it's pushing you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never really understood the symbolism of the dove. Like, what does that say about the nature of the Holy Spirit? 
that it is holy because it's a white bird. Mm. Purity. Connection to Noah and the ark, mm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And sacrifice. I mean, sacrificing right. of, of doves, perfect doves. So I imagine the dove is more a symbol of holy rather than a symbol of any kind of characteristic of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is the one who is alongside us, which is more the definition of paraclete, which we heard today in John, than advocate or comforter or any of the other descriptors that we often get, which I think are all part of the Holy Spirit, but are not the totality, certainly. I find it interesting, kind of all the words we use to try to understand the vastness that is God. Hmm. That for me is, um, as I've said, I've I was raised Pentecostal, and so in a church that was had a, a, a big emphasis again on the baptism of the Holy Spirit as some kind of like second event, and that the gifts of the Spirit that are in the New Testament are for today. And so um, I had a experience with the Holy Spirit when I was eleven years old, and I began speaking in tongues, and I have consistently prayed in tongues in my personal prayer time ever since then. So coming up on 20 years now. And for me, that's been, even with all the different theological transformations I've gone through, that's been something that's been so consistent for me because as I don't understand sometimes the words that I want to use theologically to talk about God, I still am able to experience God through this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and I can't put language to it. And that's the point. I might not understand what's going on, but the Spirit is active and speaking through me and praying through me. And it forces me to give up my um, my desire to label what's going on mm. and to have some kind of like theological format for what I'm doing and what I'm believing. But it's it's the experience of God in that moment and the intimacy with God in that moment. And um, it's beyond language. And that's the point of that particular experience. You know, for me, I've reached the point in my prayer life at this season for this season of my life that when I'm praying in my tongues, when I'm praying in tongues, that's really the only time that I feel like I'm actually praying because I actually feel like communion with God is happening for me. You know, and I know that's a unique, everyone has a unique experience with God and um, a unique journey and different gifts. And it's just that for me, this is where I surrender fully and I stop trying to, to, to rely on my own understanding. And I, helps me to then translate that into the rest of my my walk with God of letting the Spirit lead. Now I see through a mirror darkly, but mm-hmm. then I shall see face to face. Mm-hmm. I, we can't understand God. Yeah. We get glimpses and we can speak to the revelations of the divine that are given us, but, but to, to believe for a moment that that is the totality of God is just foolishness on our part and is what leads to wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of abuses because we think we've figured it out when God God has only given us a glimpse. I don't have, I don't have the gift of praying in tongues. It's not something that is, it's just, it's just not something that I've ever really come across. I've had the opportunity before. I've been in spaces where people are where it's invited and people are very comfortable and it's just not something that connects with me. But what's interesting is I find that for me, what you were just describing is music. Mm -hmm. So in those musical spaces, especially when there's this dissonance in the notes and it fills the space in those thin spaces, when my brain can shut down and I'm just in that moment, I feel like that is the language of God and it's one that I don't always know and I can't control and I I don't fully understand. And maybe I'd think differently on it if I was a you know, if I was a if I had been a music major and I could speak about music theory and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm sure for others, you know, it is the words, right? And and those pieces where they feel close and connected. So it's 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 an interesting piece. There's almost a little bit from what I hear you saying and and at least from my experience, like there what is what is that thing that allows you to to simply be receptive mm-hmm. to simply receive the experience of god rather than trying to analyze and dismantle and remantle mm-hmm. 
the the existence of God and to understand in that way to just be a vessel for a moment right and and let that be enough mm-hmm. um, to just connect with the ineffability of God that right there's not when we try and put language on things it's, it, it you know in our brains it's like we're disconnecting from the experience mm-hmm. of it which is it's and it's wonderful because you know for me I think God created my whole being and mm-hmm. every part of my being is um, led by and and put together by the Holy Spirit so when I use my brain that's important that's part of worship absolutely it's not about being like oh you know let's disconnect you know our uh spirit and our mind you know very gnostic very gnostic right (laughs) you know um but it's it's a holistic thing but i think so often we do focus on one or the other and and in theology we tend to focus so much on the words and the language and and trying to do that which is wonderful but there is something about god that needs to be experienced and so finding that space where you can connect to that ineffability of god you know I think it's so important, whether it be in the music or in your prayer time or um, some some area where you stop trying to put language to it and just be and experience God. When I think that kind of comes back to Ezekiel, mortal, can these bones live? I don't know. Can mm-hmm. they? Right? There are these... What, what God is up to is so much bigger than anything we can pinpoint that for Ezekiel in that moment to prophesy to the bones and to prophesy to the breath really was just saying, okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm Mm going to trust that you are going to show up and be where you say you are going to be. And you are going to give me the words and you're going to put this in this space. And it's not going to be dependent on me. I don't have to figure it all out that you are going to give me in this moment your your spirit, your breath, your movement, and that that is more than enough, more than sufficient for the task that you have called me to, more than sufficient for the person that you have called me to be. And that's one of the reasons I love the Ezekiel text and also the Acts text. I mean, they were upstairs talking about God's amazing power, but it was the Holy Spirit's choice. It was God's choice to pour the Holy Spirit out in their, on them and in their midst. It was the Holy Spirit's choice to, to move over all of those people gathered in Jerusalem. It wasn't because they were so special and amazing or they'd figured it all out. It was maybe precisely because they didn't figure it all out. that They couldn't, that God said, no, this is what you are called to this is sufficient for the task ahead and, mm-hmm. and for who you are called to be. And I'm giving it to you freely. Calm down. Yeah, I related to what you were saying with Ezekiel. It could be interpreted he was being a little bit sarcastic. I'm just uh, saying, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, because I have very much had those, those moments. I, I feel like the phrase, like, give it up to God is a very common one when you're praying or worrying about something people will say like give it up to god um whereas i tend to do more like throwing it at god (laughs) of like i can't deal with this anymore you take it right um so yeah it's definitely (laughs) for for someone who enjoys control how do i relax and embrace the being unsure and not being in control. So my son has, my youngest has regressed in sleeping for the past three, four weeks. I don't know because time and tiredness has lost all real meaning in my life. And, and so the other night he was so overly tired and he prefers my husband, which I'm frankly at this point fine with. And uh, anyway, I was trying to comfort him. I was trying to make it okay. And I'm just getting more and more agitated because I don't know what he wants because he's, he's not speaking yet. He has a language delay. So he can't tell me what he wants. He's just crying. I'm getting frustrated. I'm so irritated. And finally, I'm, I, Joel comes over. He's like, what? And I'm like, just here. And I just, I kind of like thrust the kid at him and he takes him and he's like, okay. And then I'm watching him with my son, whom I love very dearly. And he is just rocking him 
and rubbing his back and saying, it's okay. And, and he's calming down. And part of me is going, well, I did that. And you didn't care about it. And like in my head, you know, I still can't get out of my own way. And then there comes this moment where I was like, oh, it's not about you. Mm. How amazing is this in this moment to mm. see, to see my husband and my son together and to recognize that in the way he is with him in this moment, that, that he has the tools in this moment, that he is calm enough in this moment, that he is not worried about figuring it out. He just, he just says, okay, I'm just going to sit and rock with you. And, and what an incredible and humbling reminder to me of not only like the most important piece, pieces of being a parent is not having the knowledge, but merely having the presence. But then all of this happened at the same time that I'm working on this sermon. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, once again, it's not about all the answers. It's not about having it all figured out. It's about mm -hmm. the presence yeah. and how important that is and how quickly we forget in deference to, to having it all figured out. I should say I thrust him safely at his father. <laughs> I just want to clarify that very safely. It's not like I, I didn't pitch him like a football. Like I, here. I know for me, whenever I'm having like a disagreement with someone or a conversation with someone where I'm trying to like get my point across, I find that as they're speaking, I am constructing in my head what mm. I'm going to say back. Preach. Which then causes me, of course, to not hear what they're actually saying. And so something I've tried to learn is to, whenever I, I feel myself trying to come up with something to say, like to just put that aside and like intentionally listen to what they're saying, right? And so not come up with a response immediately, like to, to be able to sit with what they've just said and receive what they've just said before coming up with a response to what they've said. And I feel like we do that with God too, right? Mm. We're, we constantly try and fill the space of like, this is what I'm saying to God rather than, than sitting with what our response is going to be. We don't like silence. We don't like empty space, you know? So often for me, my prayers have then, because of that, become just me sitting in that space of silence and not trying to come up with words to say to God because I know I can't in this moment um, for whatever reason. I can't come up with something to say. I need to, I need to quiet my spirit. I need to just sit in the silence. And it's so hard because we're constantly filling si that silence with thoughts in our head, right? But I think there's something there to, to like lean into that tension of silence um, and see what comes of that without having to fill it with your own stuff. And I can't help but think about being in New York City. It's just so busy and there's so much going on and so many people and just sensory overload constantly. And slowing down feels almost as if you're missing something, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? That that then you're, you're not doing something you should be doing if you are slowing down. Mm -hmm. Rather than saying, I can only do the things I have to do if I take these moments to feed my soul. My mentor, who has since passed away, was a Jesuit priest, but he also was a Zen Buddhist meditation master and total child of the 60s. Very interesting man. But he would, I, I remember doing Zen meditation with him and, and that was the big push. He said, it's, it's finding that space mm -hmm. to just be still within yourself. And if you find wayward thoughts coming your way, smile and greet them and say, I, I acknowledge you, you're here, but let them pass through. And how incredibly hard it was mm -hmm. to actually be in the moment. And when it happened, even if it was for a moment, just a minute, what a gift it was, but then how swiftly the next thought came, yeah. right? Yeah. So to find that, to find that space. And yet, all that being said, in Ezekiel, in Acts, we are shown again, it's it's not what we do, it's not how prepared we are, it's it's what God is ready to pour out on mm -hmm. us. You know. That's always the balance. There are things right. we can do to be more receptive and right. and, and aware right. of what's happening, but ultimately that gift that is being given is Mm -hmm. not contingent upon us in mm -hmm. any way, shape, or form. Right. 
thank the Lord. Right. And quieting ourselves, it's, it's, it's like an opportunity to notice what God is already doing. Right. You know, like that the spirit was already there the, the whole time, you know, and you see, yeah, she was, she was already the one initiating. Yeah. It's much clearer looking back and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was, I was definitely not all my doing. Hindsight is very forgiving. <laughs> yes. Right? But in the moment, to actually find the presence of mind to be aware of what's happening is really hard. And there's so many moving pieces in our lives and in the Holy Spirit working in other people as well, that sometimes hindsight is the only way you can see it because all of those pieces haven't been revealed yet, but they've been at work, right? Like God's been doing this new thing for a long time through a whole bunch of people, but it's just in one moment where everything comes together mm. and you say, oh, 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 that's it. Okay. I, you know, I should have realized. Okay. So the last question we always end on is... What will you do differently this week after this sermon? This week, I am going to be participating in an immersion trip uh, on the Texas-Mexico border. Um, So I can already tell that this message is going to be kind of echoing in my head as I, you know, go through and, and and see to the extent that I can in this short amount of time what is going on for immigrants uh, in this borderlands area in the detention center and in the immigration court. And, um, and so I'm, I'm hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit leads as I go through that experience and see where I need to be prophesying in light of it upon returning. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm at and what I'm thinking about and integrating that experience with what this, this word is clearly um, speaking to in today's circumstances of this borderlands, you know, where a person is dying, trying to get to life, a better life every single day in this desert. And I, I pray to see where the spirit is at work in the midst of that and how to how to be obedient to her and speak out. As I mentioned before, there are a multitude of sermons that one can preach on any given text or, or combination of texts every Sunday. And the sermons that I started out this week on were very different than the one that I landed on. And the reason that I landed with this sermon and focusing on Ezekiel is because I was feeling very much like this world is just amassing piles of dry bones. And I have a tendency to go to, I have a tendency to go to the negative space, right? I really do. And, and I think the reminder that God is doing a new thing, that the Holy Spirit is moving, that not just is the Holy Spirit moving in some place different, but the Holy Spirit is moving in the valley amid the um, amid the the dry bones that the bones themselves are the ones that are are the that that this is God's creation and this is what God is calling forward and that there this is where the new thing is coming from it gives me hope it gives me hope so when i'm very much ready to wash my hands of everything and when i find myself losing that losing perspective losing god perspective i hope this week going forward is that i my hope this week going forward is that i will find hope more readily in a recognition that that god is there in the valley and that i'll be able to keep my ears open to figure out how i can be part of that how god is calling me to be a part of that from last week's sermon, the thing that's been rattling in my head is, where are we, church? It's I want to think about that both as like the larger church and us as a body, but also me as a part of the church. And where am I and where am I showing up? So, Well, I hear that there's a valley of dry bones that's just lovely this time of year. <laughs> I'm planning on hanging out there more. 
You're more than welcome to hang out with me. I'm just saying. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at adventnyc.org. You can email us at podcast at nyc.org or join our Facebook group, Advent Sermons and Conversations, to join in the discussion. Our services are 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in English and 1230 in Spanish at 93rd and Broadway. It feels weird. It feels weird to talk about the things I just preached right. because I'm used to just right. I told you everything. <laughs> I just put it out there, and there are all these other things around it. But I've, I've, like sermons are for so long. I've just been met like they get they go out into the ether, and then I never mm-hmm. see them again. Mm-hmm. So to be sitting here and talking about these things is just a very fun and unique experience for me. Mm-hmm. It's also something I. I kind of appreciate, but I find interesting about Lutheran sermons is they're like 10 to 15 minutes, mm-hmm. but all of the information that you pack into like every second of that is a lot. It's quite a lot. That is the, that is the gift of manuscript preaching is that the, the source is your friend. And when there is only a certain amount of time to say it, I had a pastor who used to say, if you can't say it in 10 to 12 minutes, no one's listening. And that I know is not true because there are many churches and many places that preach will be on that. But in this particular liturgical context, it's what people expect. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of true. Mm-hmm. And, and so creating space in that space saying, okay, then if less is more, make sure that there's more in your less. Mm-hmm. I found myself throughout the sermon really wanting to shout out amen. But I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I can't, I can't. But you do can, that. you I can't can. do that here. See, so so this is this is my it. amen. Amen. <laughs> you just we have to seed it. We just have mm-hmm. to get a handful of people who say, Yes, I will talk back. And then once mm-hmm. people realize that that's okay, they will talk back too. Mm-hmm. But it has to be there have to be plants, church mm-hmm. plants, for for there to be a shift in culture on the the talking back. Preachers actually, as I shouldn't say that, I, I as a preacher it. really love when people talk back to me mm-hmm. because then I know people are actually paying attention. Besides Deanne, who's writing notes frantically, <laughs> but but it's really helpful to it gets really helpful. But it is not uh, as common a practice no. in in many Lutheran churches, not in all, but in many. Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear that joke about the? Um, Baptist going to a Lutheran church. So a Baptist comes into a Lutheran church one Sunday. He sits in the front row. The pastor starts preaching, gives her first, like, gives her first point. The Baptist says, amen. Pastor goes on, makes her get a second point. So the Baptist says, hallelujah. Finally, getting to the climax, pastor finishes sermon. Baptist says, praise the Lord. And the um, usher walks over and it says, excuse me, sir, but we don't praise the Lord here. <laughs> oh, oh, the, oh, that's so painful. Did you hear someone about the, there, there's a, a supply pastor comes into a Lutheran church and, um, and the mic is broken. And so the pastor's tapping the microphone and says, there's something wrong with this microphone. And the people respond, and also, also with, with you. you. <laughs> because they're just... Yeah. Just, yeah. That's just what we <laughs> reading, do. Reading it's the what script. we do. Exactly. And also with you. Which they probably weren't wrong. So <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs>